Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Today is the 2nd of March, or as you're probably referring to it, Good Friday. Now... Or the 2nd of April. Yes, it is also that date, and not the date I previously said. I see you've played this game before. (laughs) So, we said we will be back on Friday, then... We were told to take today as a holiday by grip management because apparently no one works today. But we said we'll be here, so we're going to be here for a nice little short episode dealing with two things. One, Orty's love of apologising to people. And two, the HSE's, shall we say, um, spectacular fucking ineptitude, I think would be the um, kind way to say it. It is... The supernova of stories, and yet it seems to be collapsing in upon itself like a black hole and sucking all the interest that might go along with it. So we were talking, uh, I think the last show or maybe the show before that, about the Beacon Hospital. I was saying that I don't care about this, and if you really do care about it, you should look at what the HSE is doing, because none of the numbers make sense, and they won't explain them. And I think this is a point we've touched on a lot. These numbers don't make sense. Well, the Daily Mail did a little bit of digging into it and assuming that their reporting is correct, what they have found is that the um, there were, shall we say, some abuse of the HSE vaccination system was taking place, Michael. <laughs> yeah, there was some abuse and uh, the Lubyanka may have infringed on some of the prisoners' human rights. The numbers scary, the numbers are, if the reporting is correct. And to be fair, they seem to match up with the numbers already published by the HSE, to a degree anyway, are impressive. So, this is what is alleged to have happened. The HSE had an online portal if you were a member of the HSE's staff or you were considered to be a frontline medical uh, personnel and therefore in the top category to get vaccinated. Even above people in nursing homes, Michael, you may remember, we moved them. They're still classed as cohort two, but they actually started before the nursing homes, substantially before the nursing homes. And it turned out that this portal didn't actually require any login details or verification that you actually worked for the HSE. So effectively what the HSD did was create a static link that anyone who got could use and could say that they worked in a position that had a risk of transmission, that they were a healthcare worker, not give their exact occupation, and be registered to be vaccinated. And at no point during the process, from filling out the form to receiving the vaccination, were they ever asked to verify that they worked for the HSE. However, the form did say... Please don't share this with other people. That's a security feature. I mean, you say they wouldn't trust their people to behave in an ethical and scrupulous fashion? I don't know if they didn't trust their people, but what I'm saying is they shouldn't have trusted their people. (laughs) As it turns out. As it turns out. So, the HSE has now come out and told the Daily Mail that they've shut down that portal. They shut it down on Friday. I'd imagine they shut it down because the Daily Mail had sent them some very interesting questions about it. The HSE is now saying that they do not know the occupation of 25% of the people who filled out the form. That is to say (laughs) that when vaccinating frontline medical staff, one in four of the people the HSE vaccinated, they don't even know what they did. Or what they might have done, or what they could possibly claim to do. 
Yes, they know they know nothing. But it's not even necessarily that if they filled in the form that they necessarily, in fact, fill that competence either. Well, no, that's the thing. So we have 25% who didn't put in the occupation. Some of those may be HSE staff that just didn't fill it in. But there's no verification. So anyone could have put in any position and simply had it accepted by the HSE. So while the HSE is saying that they don't know the occupation of 25% of the people who filled out the form, they can't prove the veracity or the employment status of anyone who filled out the form. Anyone. If I I could have gone in and filled it out and said, Michael Dwyer, I'm the head of brain medicine in the big hospital near the sea. And it turns out that I'm not, in fact, the head of brain medicine. Somebody else is. But there'd be no way of knowing that. This cohort was always way too large. Way, way too many people were getting vaccinated. 327,851 vaccines have been administered in this cohort so far. Now, some of those are second doses. 235,418 first doses have been administered to this cohort. Now, here is the problem with that. When you actually look at the details on this and how many people actually work for the HSE, it's less than that number. In fact, it's about 100,000 less than that number. And that's not just the HSE. That's including the HSE, the hospitals, and the voluntary organisations. It's the whole kit and caboodle. So it's about 50% more than there are HSE employees. Actually, sorry, it's nearly 100% more than there are HSE employees. And no one noticed. You see, that's the thing that (laughs) you have to say. That's the thing that kind of, amongst the many things that are curious and, and puzzling about this is, they're doing this, the HSE is carrying out the vaccination, so they're presumably aware of the numbers that are being done. The HSE also presumably is aware of the numbers of people that work for the HSE and has a rough idea of the numbers of other people around that are part of the programme. And they get to the number and, oh, we've, we've vaccinated 120,000 people. That's just about us done. And then it's 130,000 and 140,000. And, and the numbers keep going and no signs of them stopping would there not have been a point where somebody around the table said lads are my numbers wrong or do we have more people working for us than i thought or is there something a bit funny about the vaccination numbers something doesn't seem to be quite right and yes the appearance is gary maybe it was not connected with these the male's story but it does seem to be the case that that portal was left going until the point at which the Daily Mail decided to to, uh, run the story. The HSE has 127,000 staff, in total, including those in voluntary sections. On its own, the HSE only has about 82,000. But 127,000 is effectively everyone in the health service, the hospitals, and the voluntary organisations that help them out. That includes admin staff. That includes everyone. It's fucking everyone. They nearly vaccinated twice that. And, and they didn't notice. Or, or, they did notice. And actually, I would kind of prefer they had noticed. Because if you didn't notice, there are people in the HSE so inept that they must constantly have to remind themselves to breathe. <laughs> breathe in, breathe out. So you might think, well, what, what are the numbers like on this? If we take the HSE's 25%, that means that they vaccinated about... 60,000 people without knowing what job they do. And if they don't know what job they do, they can't know that they're frontline medical staff. Yeah. Assuming those people got second doses at the same rate as the rest of cohort two, 
That's about 82,000 doses which have been improperly administered or could have been improperly administered. That's about 10% of the total of the vaccination program. And as I said, that's only the 25% that the HSE doesn't know anything about. They can't stand over any of these vaccinations. And this is the single largest cohort of people vaccinated. Before we continue that, just I want to, can we just bring it back to the beginning, right? We're back in the room where the guy is counting the numbers, but maybe a few weeks before he'd started to count the numbers. We're setting up this system. We're setting up that we want the frontline workers to be vaccinated. That's a policy decision that has been arrived at for public health reasons. This is what we're going to do. Now, nobody said we should really have some kind of some kind of mechanism whereby we know for certain that it's frontline workers getting this vaccination, that it's not just people walking in off the street. Nobody said that. Surely within the HSE, there's some method of identifying the people that work for them. They must, do they have a, is there a register of employees? Is there a number attached to a name? Is there a, is there a, a, a department or a hospital or a, or an office building that they're associated with? Is nobody decide, nobody thought, you know what, just for the sake of, you know, probity and we, everybody, you know, doing the thing right and nobody getting vaccinations that they shouldn't get and nobody jumping the queue. Even though people were working in probably, I mean, I'm speculating, there may be office blocks in Athlone where people never go into a hospital that work for the HSE that were vaccinated on the on the basis that they work for the HSE and therefore they're frontline workers. Nobody thought there was a requirement to put some level of identification in this. Well, I'm going to put out just a just an idea here. That's just an idea. I've no proof of it. I've no idea if it's true. I'm not even saying it's true. I'm just floating it as a you know as a concept. Okay. Let's say you were the HSE and you were told that you need to vaccinate frontline uh, healthcare workers, and you know that that will be very difficult to do, both because you have to define frontline healthcare workers, but also then you have the union issues and you have the personal issues of only vaccinating part of the organization. And that's just, it's going to be a lot of stress on you. And, you know, it's going to be a problem. And on the other hand, you have a government who desperately wants the numbers to appear good and knows that the hospitals and the HSE is a very easy way to get the figures up very quickly because you can literally just pull people out of wards and vaccinate them. And so there is perhaps an understanding that that was what was to be done. And so the HSE creates a system that has no verification because that makes it very easy to vaccinate non-frontline staff. And at this point, I have talked to multiple administrative staff in various parts of the HSE none of whom will go on record or I would have written it up already. And all of them, all of them, Michael, were offered vaccines. Those who turned vaccines down on the basis that they're not frontline and they don't deal with the public because they're working from home, were offered multiple vaccines, one after the other. So let's say you do that and Mm -hmm. you basically vaccinate the entire HSE. And the unions are happy, management is happy, everyone is happy. And the government looks really good because the numbers go up. And then you wait for the numbers to stop going up. And they don't. And they don't. Your thing has gotten out. 
And now everyone's starting to realise that there's actually no verification process here. And people are starting to go online and post detailed explanations of how the public can do this. And at that point, there's a maybe a moment of realisation, Michael, that if it gets out that you set up something with absolutely no verification that could have allowed tens of thousands of vaccines to be improperly administered, that's the sort of thing you know, people lose their careers over and in other countries would potentially be facing jail time for. And you just decide to wait it out. So this, shall we say, not, not even a hypothesis, but this narrative is based on the idea that the lack of verification is not in fact a glitch in the system, but an integral part of the design of the system. Because you don't want to know, by, by not asking the people who, you, who they were, you couldn't know who they were. And therefore, if someone asked you who they were, you weren't in a position to say. And because they used the frontline healthcare workers link, Michael, which told people not to share it, they were frontline medical workers, of course. And then it gets into the public and you've got a decision of, well, do we just try and wait this out? And you do try and wait it out. And the numbers just keep going up and up and up. I, I, I have this image in my head, this sort of keeps persisting the last minute or so, of rabbits in Australia. You know, they've let, the, it's like they let, they, they, they've created this system. It's like the, somebody, when they let the rabbits first out in Australia, they said, we won't mention, we won't say anything. They're there, they're crying, they're fine. They'll, they'll be okay. And they start to reproduce and that's okay. But then they just, they keep reproducing and reproducing and reproducing till you get to the point where people are starting to notice, where are the fucking rabbits coming from, lads? Yeah. At which point you say, oh, yeah, about the rabbits. We may have a problem there. It's fantastic stuff. I, I think there's a. I put it this way: there's a plausibility to that idea, a pleasing, a pleasing plausibility. There's also just another thing I'll just throw into the mix, just as a general mix. Some journalists have been asking for breakdowns of this number for quite a while now, because you know, it's odd that we have vaccinated twice as many people as work in the sector. Yeah. Under the heading of the... It's just weird. Yeah, yeah, that's reasonable. And... Curious. The HSE has been very reticent to give breakdowns of the figures. Now, we know now that the 25% they just didn't know the occupations of, but that indicates that there is a listing of the occupation of the other ones, and they chose not to give that out. Well, yeah, because it may be the case that while... what they It's not so much that they know the occupations of the others... But they knew what was written down as the occupation of the others. Now, I will say this. This is probably a very easy list to audit because you would have signed on to it knowing you need a second dose, which means you would probably use a real name in case you're asked for ID and you would use real contact details because you need to be able to receive the call from them. Exactly. Yeah. You, need, you, you can't give them a fake number because you, you want to be able to take the call when they ring to say, come in tomorrow. So this can probably be checked. The other point I would make is that Cohort 1, the um, the um, long-term residential facilities, the numbers there are also way out of whack. There may be a different explanation for that. Michael, could you see the HSE, let's say, creating a second unsecured link? <laughs> uh, I yes, I could, Gary. Yes, I mean, I if you've used the system once, why would you change the system? Well, it was working so well. So, we have that. 
And let's, well, if that was the case, Michael, let's just add those numbers up quickly, shall we? Okay, go With 819,000 vaccines administered so far. And if that was the case, and they had given out an unsecured link for the nursing homes, we would now have a situation where we would be unable to verify the integrity of 512,000 of those vaccines. <laughs> Which, by my rough Whoa. maths, Michael... Is a yeah. over sixty percent of all vaccines given out. It's it it it's the gift that keeps on giving. So I I think there is a lot that can be said about this. It is a staggering level of ineptitude that even I am surprised that the HSE was able to rise to. I think the only well, multiple things need to happen. I think at this point, I think Paul Reed needs to be sacked, and that might seem unfair. People might be saying. Why does the HSE, or why does the CEO of the HSE need to be blamed for this? Maybe he had, you know, no control over this area. To which I would say, you're the CEO. This is the most po- this important public health uh, program of living memory. And yes. it's your job to pay attention to it. And it's your job to be responsible for it. That's why you're paid €420,000. And you got to leave uh, Fingal County Council. Which, by the way, is where the uh, Director General of the HSE worked before this. And organised a prawn festival. He did, and he brought back St. Patrick's Day parades. And um, yeah, that was a wonderful, wonderful um, history of success, Michael. I like a prawn festival. I like a prawn, actually. So here's the thing. You're the CEO of the HSE. You are effectively in charge of this vaccination programme, or at least the practical implementation of it. You know these numbers. You know how many people you employ. You have access to all of the breakdown data. So there's two things that could have happened here. Either he was aware of the data and allowed it to continue, because if he was aware of it, he would have been aware of it very early. Or he wasn't aware of the data, and the man over the vaccination program didn't notice that they had vaccinated nearly twice as many people in his sector as are employed in the sector. Without flogging many dead horses, you say he's the man over the vaccination program. He is the head of the HSC, which is the organisation, which is the which is the dedicated organisation to roll out the vaccine program. We don't actually have, unlike other countries, countries particularly that have been su- successful in rolling out their vaccine programs, we don't really have anybody who is whose specific and unique job is organising the administration of the vaccines and rolling the rolling rolling out as we keep saying of the vaccine program now we've talked about this before gary you mentioned before context that you'd had with um, senior healthcare managers in hospitals in the, in dublin who said we literally don't know who's in charge when there's a problem we don't know who to ring we don't know if it's the department we don't know if it's the hsc we don't know if it is in the hsc which which department of the hsc it is and I think even at this late stage, and unfortunately this is not as late a stage in the programme as it might otherwise have been, it would be useful to bite the bullet and actually put somebody in specifically in charge of this programme to oversee every detail, who does nothing else but this. Because as HSE, he obviously is going to have other shit to do. And I'm not saying that he's not responsible ultimately, he gets the big books. The book stops with him, as Harry Truman would say. But for the for the for the purposes of running it, you know, uh, we have people in this country who 
work for companies that have massively complicated logistics and seem to do it pretty well. Companies like I we mentioned, I mean, we're talking months ago, we're talking about the fact, why can they not get somebody from Amazon in for six months? They're used to delivering stuff. Why can't we get somebody, get somebody in who knows how to do this kind of thing or something like this, so de dealing with complex systems and going for targets and meeting them. But maybe, maybe that's nonsense. Maybe actually all that would do is create another period of time where we'd have to go through a whole series of interviews and reflection and he'd have to get up to speed and all it would do would, would waste more time. I don't know. But it does seem to me that we are, we are suffering from the lack of one person, high quality managerial individual whose job is solely, simply to roll out the vaccine throughout the country. Anyway, I'm sorry, I just wanted to have another go on that particular dead horse, but go ahead. No, I think, obviously, the actual ownership of the vaccine program is a massive issue, but he is the head of the actual implementation body of most of it. Yes, now, he is. Also within that, on whether or not he knew, CEOs will delegate things. It's, it's been possible not to, but there are always projects that are deemed to be important enough to be worth the personal direct attention of the CEO. And I would find it hard to believe that the vaccination program was not one of them. It has to be his number one. Beyond that, the data that led journalists to start questioning this is public. Yes. So if someone can look at publicly available data and can pinpoint an issue that the CEO of the organization did not notice, and it's this large of an issue on this important of a project, yeah, they're not fit for their position. Why would we... <laughs> How would you trust this person to be competent in any area after this? Now, unless the Daily Mail got this entirely wrong, and from what it sounds like they did, they got a whistleblower, and then they went through the process themselves to make sure there was no verification. So that would be a hard one for them to be wrong on. Yeah. And then, of course, when we're recording this, and you know, we're, all, we're all ready to go, the Daily Mail puts up its front page for tomorrow, so the Friday when you guys will hear this. It's like half twelve on uh, Monday morning at this point. And the headline, <laughs> the... Sorry. It's still Friday morning. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, it's half twelve on, on Friday morning. The headline on the front page of the Irish Mail today is this. Minister warned of flaws in jab booking. Stephen Donnelly was told about this issue 10 days before it was shut down. And the interesting thing here is that it shut down on Friday. This story comes out shortly thereafter. So it looks like the thing was shut down because the story was coming and the Daily Mail reached out with questions. That may not be the case, but because of the timing, that's how it looks. So Donnelly has now managed to involve himself in this more than he would have been before because... Donnelly as well should have been over this. Now, interestingly enough, apparently the warning comes from uh, came from Jim O'Callaghan's office. Which is curious. Yeah, so Jim O'Callaghan, 10 days um, before the thing is shut down, writes to Donnelly and tells him that details are being posted online of how to con the HSE system. And nothing happens for nearly two yeah. weeks. Does that strike you as um, a man who's on the ball? Well, Gary, we're talking about responsibility. You, you, you say, I think you're right, that Reid, as the chief executive officer of the HAC, carries administrative managerial responsibility for that. But there's also political responsibility. Now, the HAC 
only exists as a prophylactic, a prophylactic to protect the Minister for Health and the Department of Health from whatever cock up or disaster happens to be happening any other week in in the health system in Ireland. That's why it's there. But as much as they would like to be protected, as much as they would like to say, oh, well, you know, it's not my that's not my thing. It's the HSE are doing that, and the chief executive uh, will uh, will be responsible. No, HSE is a body which ultimately it's a it's a state body it's funded by the taxpayer and the minister is ultimately politically politically responsible and if he isn't keeping up to date on the situation uh regarding the 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 vaccine what is he doing what else has he got to do so no he's politically responsible they're both responsible and there are gary there are there there is plenty of space on the gates to Leinster House for two heads, not just one. No, I think you're right on that. And again, on the Donnelly point, even if he's further away from it because the HSE is there as a windshield, you still have the publicly available data. You still have more people being vaccinated there in the sector. And presumably Donnelly had some more advanced uh, information as well. And he, again, either didn't notice or God knows what he was doing. And I don't think, I think also they are kind of undercut by the timing of this because a very short while ago you have the Beacon Hospital, you have 20 vaccine doses out of 200 sent to school teachers because the HSE cocked up and double booked hundreds of people, leading to 200 no shows, something which they have continued this week with hundreds and hundreds of no shows and double bookings all throughout the country. Yeah. And Donnelly responds by having them removed from the vaccination program. Now, the HSE cannot stand over 60,000 doses. At the very least, just that 25%, where it cannot verify occupation at all. That's 60,000 doses of, of, of just first doses. Now, if you include second doses, and see, so we don't know if these people got it at the same rate because they probably came in later, and we've effectively switched to a 10 or 12 week delay before second doses. We just haven't told anyone, but if you look, if you look at the numbers, it's very clear we're doing it. So maybe they didn't get as many second doses, but at least 60 doses, maybe up to 80,000 in that, and the HSE cannot stand over it at all. And we have a couple of days ago, Donnelly talking about the need to protect the integrity of the system and public trust in it. And, you know, a couple of days ago, when I'm going through my Twitter feed, the beacon and the 20 vaccines is all over it like a rash. Every other tweet is a tweet or a retweet. It's a demand for blood. This is, it's, oh my God, this is the same old Ireland. It's jobs for the boys. It's incompetence and lack of transparency for 20 vaccines. They lose their life. Today, I didn't see this mentioned. It's it's gone very quiet. Now, Gript has mentioned it, and we mentioned that the Daily Mail was reporting it, and the Daily Mail are on it. I haven't seen anyone else mention this. It may have come up on some of the radio programs. So there's two things that's either happening there, Michael. One, they've decided they're not going to cover it, which has been happening more and more, actually, over this, uh, as we've gone through the COVID period. I don't rightly know why, but it seems to be happening more often. Or they think it's so serious that they've gone and they're going to verify themselves over a day or two, and then they're going to report it heavily. And I have no idea which way they'll break on that. I'm hoping it's the latter. And I kind of believe it has to be, because 
the male has broken has broken the story. It's out there and it's a massive story. And if the male is right about this, of course, it has to be checked. And maybe the male got it wrong. But just on the basis of the raw numbers that we've seen, it's very hard. It is very hard to square the numbers of over 200,000 individuals receiving at least one dose with the numbers of people employed under the auspices of the HSE and the various and the all the and all the other organisations together, how those numbers square with this being part of the for, of the frontline program. However, leaving that aside, what I find even more bizarre is not I'm not specifically even talking about the the silence of the newspapers, but also the silence of politicians, politicians in opposition, vociferous volat. Uh, politicians, mostly, I would say, from the, from the left, the hard left, who were apoplectic about what had happened in the Beacon. Now, they, and I'm not, I'm not in a position to, to know if any of them have commented or none of them have commented, because all I, all I can say is they have not been appearing in my on on my timeline. They haven't been appearing in my tweets. It has not exploded with the huge energy that the Beacons 20 vaccine did. And I find that curious. And at the time, I said, and I, I, I maybe I sounded like I was minimising the seriousness of what might have happened, which I, I shouldn't, if I did, I, I didn't want to do that. I, I, in, another, in, in other legal cultures, this would f- probably fall under the, the heading of, of theft and would be a, a, a potentially criminal offence if there was wrongdoing and if the person involved did, in fact, not go through all of the correct stages. And I don't think we know the details there to make a judgment. But the exacerbate, the, the incredible amount of energy that was expended and after the discussions we've been having for months, Gary, about the handling of the pandemic and then the handling of the, the vaccine rollout. And this is what people choose to become, enra- to become enraged about. The bizarre hierarchy of values being employed, both by media and by politicians in this area, rather that that's not holding a government to account. Gary, in no way is getting aerated about a private hospital behaving in a certain way holding a government to account for its failures to roll out the vaccine and to make to to do its best to protect the health and safety of the citizens. All that's just indulging in class politics. And now today, maybe there have been all over the gaff talking about this, but I haven't heard them. And maybe they will yet talk about it, but we shall see. One thing, just just before we move on to, to something else, some people might say, well, what does it matter? People needed to be vaccinated. They were vaccinated. And there's lots of arguments you could make about that, about fairness and about the need to actually stick to a system and ethics and all of that stuff. I'm not going to make those arguments because I never do. What I will argue is this, is effectiveness. I made the point months ago, I think, when I was saying that we shouldn't vaccinate healthcare staff, uh, healthcare workers first, but should go purely by age, that it would allow you, if we had, I think I said at the time, if you took the healthcare number and applied that to the other Mm -hmm. categories, it would be just a massive benefit. And that was even taking into account any increased risk of infection that frontline healthcare workers have. If you want, if they're doing this and they're using vaccine doses that could be spent on the elderly or those who are at a very high risk, that would improve public health more. That would cut down on serious illnesses. That would cut down on death. If these are mostly going to people who are just at moderate risk of COVID-19 and are not 
eligible for it based on age categorization. Doing this is is actively damaging to public health because you're taking vaccines that could be given to other people. So cohort three is people who are 70 or older and are not in long-term residential care. The CSO says there's about 490,000 of those. Yeah. There have been less than 300,000 vaccinations in that area. I think when you actually look at the the first doses, there have been 227,000 people uh, vaccinated in that. If we had taken the the healthcare doses in general, we could have fully vaccinated that area. And we keep being told the issue is supply and supply, but that makes misappropriation even worse because there's less to use in general. And they didn't notice. They just didn't notice. Now, I, I actually, I actively hope that this was just something they tried to do as a kind of smart little thing, and it just got out of hand. Because if then it is something. Someone had an idea, and implementation went wrong. If it's just accidental, the, the level of ineptitude there yeah. would be... Like, if they actually just did this accidentally, they set up a system with no safeguard accidentally, they didn't realise what would happen if it got outside, they didn't realise that the numbers had gotten so high, and they didn't even realise that the fact they didn't have occupation data for 25% of the people they were vaccinating is a question. That would be incredible. And before we move on, just to return to a point you made there, because I think it's absolutely central to why this is scandalous. We have to put this in the context of where we are. We have a shortage of vaccines. And they, we have been constantly told that the, the, the underlying problem with the speed or the, fa- the lack of speed of the rollout of vaccines is because of uh, the lack of supply. Now, as regular listeners know, I don't think that that absolves them. I think that the lack of supply they are, is a part of, falls onto their responsibility as well. But leaving that aside, as you said, at a time when we are dealing with a highly rationed good, which has a very high value to a number of people, to allow it to be dissipated in this way, willy-nilly, possibly in, in almost an accidental fashion, 100,000 vaccines possibly, who knows, 50,000, doesn't matter. That's absolutely disgraceful. We have a shortage of something, a terrible shortage of something, which is potentially life-saving for certain people, certain citizens. And this is how that short, that that precious resource is being managed. That's just that that is, is that's simply scandalous. And somebody somebody needs to respond to this, and somebody needs to take responsibility. Anyway, on the act of someone taking responsibility, RTE has, according to the Independent, apologised. They had the sheer audacity to ask a politician about children's shoes, Michael. Yeah, well, children's shoes, as they pointed out, are a sensitive subject for Fine Gael. So again, and especially for Fine Gael ministers for finance. So, Orchie has apologised to Pascal Donoghue over the manner in which a question about children's shoes was put to him on Morning Ireland. Now, the question, basically, he was asked about children's shoes not being classed as an essential service. And then a comment was made that Fine Gael has a particular history when it comes to children's shoes. Now, for those who don't know, that is a reference to the collapse of the government in 1982, 
And what had happened is John Bruton decided he was going to introduce VAT on children's shoes, which up to that point had been free of VAT. And that led to the collapse of the Fine Gael Labour Coalition because they underestimated the extent to which one person was going to make this an issue for them. Was it Bruton or... It was Bruton, was it? Not Jukes. No, it was Bruton, I think. Bruton. I can't remember. I remember the, I remember, actually remember the thing happening. I'm, I am old enough to remember the thing. And there were a number of uh, independents. And I can't remember, one of them, in, was it Dublin Bay, Rockall Loftus was supposed to vote, allegedly was supposed to vote for it vote one way and then and, and got in the wrong lobby or something. And, and the government wasn't supposed to follow, but in fed it did. And all on the all on that on children's shoes. Yeah, and that was that was the reference to it. Now Pascal simply made the point that he wasn't in politics at that point, and he just batted it away. He didn't sound terribly happy to be asked the question with that comment attached to it, but it didn't seem to trouble him. And the great thing about someone putting a comment to you like that is you can slap it right back at them pretty easily. So no story there, all perfectly fine. But apparently it pissed off Finnegale internally. And they made it known that they were pissed off. So Ortie did the only reasonable thing and apologised to Fine Gael over the question. And now they're declining to comment on the independent story. The whole thing I find surprising. First of all, Pascal never struck me as the kind of person that was especially thin-skinned. Uh, you know. Secondly, it wasn't in any way, it wasn't a personal attack. It wasn't a savage question. It was a it was a joke, essentially. It was a little bit of a oh well you lads have had this problem before, you know. It was a, a historical reference to a, a previous occasion when Finnegan Gale had got into trouble over kids' shoes. For for people who are into politics and they pay attention and remember these things and it might have caused a, a bit of a chuckle, you know, oh yeah. Well there you go, that's them all right. But it, it's such a thing and nothing. The f- if it is the if it is the case that there was a complaint made, I'm only on my my slight knowledge. I met Pascal a few times back in the days when he was a senator, and he seemed like a nice guy, a well-rounded, solid kind of a person. It didn't seem to me that the kind of person who go into the he go into the heebie-jeebies about a question like that. So if Finnegill responded like this. I also think it was an ex- a ridiculously over-the-top reaction from Fine Gael, which makes them look odd. You don't agree with Senator Jerry Buttermer, who said it was an appalling question? No, 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 sorry, Gary, you don't have to finish the question. The question, you don't agree with Jerry Buttermer, full stop. No, I don't. I have yet, and I know Jerry well. We were in college together. Lovely guy. But I have yet to hear Jerry come out with a statement where I, I've been able to say, I, I wholeheartedly So here's, here's what the Independent are saying happened. There was a Fine Gael Parliamentary Party meeting. So you had Jerry Buttimer, you had um, Junior Minister Patrick O'Donoghan, who said it was an outrageous question. An outrageous yeah, question? Yeah. Barry Duggan, who is Fine Gael's Head of Communications, was asked to handle the matter. And he told the parliamentary party meeting that Fine Gael and the finance minister's office had contacted Morning Ireland to complain. Morning Ireland was the show they were on. And Mr. Donoghue's press officer subsequently received an apology. It reminds me of, um, there's a sketch in, in Brass Eye, which if, if the listener hasn't seen it, it's a fantastic satirical 
a series based primarily on media. There's one where they do a report in a prison and the prison commandant tells an inmate to clean his shoes by licking them, to clean the commandant's shoes. And he just keeps screaming it at the inmate until the inmate begins to do it. And as soon as the inmate leans down to lick his shoes, he says, you don't actually do it. Where's your self-fucking-respect? <laughs> yeah. And there's a little bit of that, of whatever about Finnegale asking for it, to actually apologise. That's bizarre. I mean, when you, when you think back, we won't go into detail, but questions that have been put to other to individuals over the years, uh, framed in a certain way, debates that have been conducted in a certain way, outrageously. And yet in this case, and certainly no apology was, 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 for, was forthcoming. In this case, this was an outrageous question, and they apologised for it. Gary, did you ever see the interview that Paxman, Jeremy Paxman did with the then sec- Home Secretary, Michael Howard, regarding a question. It was a, there was a question about when he was, he was in charge of prisons as Home Secretary, and there was a question of whether he'd behaved correctly with the head of a prison. I, I, I have seen, I've seen both the interview and when Paxman asked him the question about 10 years later and got an actual answer. <laughs> I mean, that's a famous version of Paxman. But I've... I've I've seen the kinds of things Paxman would say, and not just Jeremy Paxman, by the way. Before Paxman ever came on the scene, there was a guy called Robin Day back in the 50s. That they used to shit themselves at the process because Robin Day was capable of saying anything. And, uh, and I think it was an, on another famous occasion when John Knott walked off the set, when I think Robin Day said to him, are you, here? you are here, minister, as a, as a, a politician, a here-today-gone-tomorrow politician, which John Knott took terrible offence to. I mean, I, Vincent Brown in his heyday said the most outrageous things to people. But you, that's your business. Politics is your avocation. The fact that the fact that RDE didn't, first of all, look and say, "Are you serious? And are you are you for are you for real? Would you go now and?" But rather, actually gave the apology is bizarre but the fact that they looked for an apology though i think the whole thing is weird i think it's all we are it's it's we our brains are getting softened by the pandemic maybe that prominent anti-lockdown protest was right gary and the masks are starving us of oxygen and we're all becoming zombified compliant creatures it's yeah it's an odd one from both parishes it's an odd one to uh, seek an apology over, and it's very odd to get an apology over. Also, I mean, Fine Gael do have a particular history when it comes to children's shoes. They do. I mean, and it's, I thought it was a perfectly innocuous, kind of funny. Yeah, like it was. It was a bit of a snide attachment to a question. I wouldn't have done it. I would like to think I would have done it better. <sighs> I don't know. I think it was a dig, Gary. It was a dig against. One of the most senior politicians in the country. A potential future leader of Fine Gael. Future leader of the free world. Um, what's the... I don't know. I, I, I think they all need to go to... Open up the church. They should all need to go to Mass. and Good Friday. Good Friday. You're listening to this. Good Friday. Read the... Read the... Read St. John's account of the Passion. That's when politics gets serious, Gary. You know? That's really... That's when the questions get hard. 
and the uh, the apology is required. Actually, speaking of um, going back to our earlier point about Irish media not covering something. Yes. The the video of the pastor getting arrested we talked about it in the last show, so we don't need to go into it again. Grip reported there's a full unedited video doing the rounds. If other media are looking to write about it, I haven't seen anyone else mention it. But a pastor was physically removed from a church at a religious service that the guards tried to shut down. That and I mean, the week before we we were very focused on uh, you know, a priest being fined. And that guards were stopping people going to church. But now we have a pastor being physically removed from a church. And that just doesn't seem to... No one is reporting it. Yeah, yeah. There's move along now, folks. There's nothing to see here. But that's just a bit of... Like, is it an anti-Protestant thing? Is it like... Well, it's a, it's an evangelical church. So, like, who cares? No, I think it's just... Well, you know, we reported on the other thing. But now... Now they've actually started to go into churches and take away them. We, that's, a, that's an optic we don't really that's want. That's just depressing. That's just... No one wants that. that. Not at Easter, which is such a happy time. You know? I mean, RTE is in full speak truth to power, but, you know, don't upset power when you do it mode at the minute. Well, be careful about the truth that you speak, you know. But I, like, I, I've, I know other media has that video. And maybe they will report on it soon. But at this point, you're looking like a full week to chase up something like that. I mean, maybe the people in the video won't talk to them because a lot of these people do not trust mainstream media. Which is I can't, not unreasonable. It's like when someone says it and you're like, yeah, you're not wrong. It's, not, it's, it's, no, long, it's no longer a symptom of, of paranoia or conspiracy theory when you say you don't trust the mainstream media. It's just a sign that you've been paying attention. Listen, if the Irish Times calls you and you hear the phrase Patsy, don't even wait for the McGarry, just hang up. <laughs> because let me tell you, that is, that is like the Inquisition. Like, you know, give me six words and I'll find enough to hang a man. You're not getting through that. Anyway, Gary, we were doing the short version. We've, we're... Brevity is the essence of wit. Absolutely. And people out there have, still have to get their fishing rods out, get down to the beach or onto the canal if they haven't already bought their fish. Because, of course, remember, folks, it's a day of fast and abstinence today. We don't want any mistakes being made. So get down, get your fish, get your, fr your fish fried, and we will be back on... Are we back on Easter Sunday or are we on holidays? I don't know. I honestly, I, I don't know. We were meant to take holiday today, so maybe we take a holiday then. I just do what I'm told, and I'm not going to make promises, so then I don't have to work. I say work, but like <laughs> that implies payment. Indeed, it's more of an indentured servitude, really. This is the this is the new work, Gary. This is the new economy where you you stay up to two. Is is this the gig economy I've heard so much about? Yeah, this is the gig economy, and, and you know the worst thing about it. There isn't anybody even at the door with a pint glass to collect money as the people come in. I suppose, I suppose Patreon is the equivalent of a guy at the, at the door collecting. Yeah, I mean, we, we technically have a Patreon. We just never mention it to people or tell them we have it or, in fact, link to it or give people actually any opportunity. <laughs> to be fair, the, the, those few loyal, decent people out there who actually do use it, it is remarkable because they've actually had to find it. Most people will put it up in bold letters and italics. This is the address. It'll appear three times. No, we actually have made it. It's a bit like finding Bitcoin. <laughs> you have to go out and find it. Anyway, uh, if we're back on Easter Sunday, 
it resurrects its secret alleluia alleluia um we'll be back on sunday if if however you don't hear from us um enjoy your easter eggs but i imagine we probably will be back on sunday because this is the gig economy and you don't want to miss a gig all the best <laughs>